Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Avnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. All right, we are recording for Contrarians, Corner for Duplex. Hello, and welcome back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as I always am by my cohort, Julio. Julio, we've gathered here on this Tuesday evening. I was going to say, your podcasting roommate. The podcasting roommate. We gathered here on this Tuesday evening to enter the new frontier. We're officially in the hundreds. Yeah. Oh, that's right. This is 101. This is 101. God, that's a bleak beginning. And this is beginning. filmmaking 101. <laughs> One of our first listener requests, I know we've had suggestions and stuff, but the whole uh, reason this came to fruition is uh, a friend of mine, Steve, had asked that we do this for the podcast. So if you do have any recommendations or suggestions, they they really come to the forefront. And this is a great example of it, because it's a movie we probably would have never done otherwise. I had never seen. It was not on our radars at all. I mean, I knew it existed, but, you know, until you brought it up, I had never thought about it since probably the last time I saw it mentioned back in the early 2000s. And with good reason. (laughs) And with good cause. It it was not beloved or heralded highly by the critics. Uh, We are here today to discuss the 2003 dark comedy duplex also known Sci-fi in some circles fantasy. as Our House. Uh, yeah, depending on... Some people think it's a horror movie. Some people think it's a... Political thriller. Suspense thriller. Whatever your take on it, the laughs can't be denied. Nor can it be denied that it did not do very well and that the critics only, according to the Rotten Tomatoes scale, have it at 35%. Now, if this is your first time listening to The Contrarians, as always, we appreciate your listen. And secondly, if that's the case... Uh, just to kind of fill you in on what we do here, our little uh, spiel is we say we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine, find a movie on uh, Rotten Tomatoes that is highly ranked or uh, certified fresh, as it were, make a case for why it should be taken down a few pegs on the inverse. And for today's episode, find a nasty green splotch of Rotten movie and make a case for the positive merit in it. We're going to say very, very, very nice things about Duplex. If this is how we feel legitimately who knows you'll have to wait till the second portion of the podcast the aptly titled real talk where we discuss our real feelings on the matter if you follow us on twitter you might have already gotten a sneak preview of might how have we feel cracked the code on this one a bit early <laughs> sometimes we just can't help ourselves being at 35 percent, not quite the bottom of the barrel but still in in nasty territory julio what were the critics saying about this one all right so i got three rotten quotes from the tomato meter Starting with Felix Vasquez Jr. from Cinema Crazed, who says, A crude, disgusting, irritating, mean-spirited, and unfunny dark comedy. Danny DeVito replied, 
I can say the same about your review, sir. <laughs> Danny DeVito just tweeted back, yeah, well, fuck you. I'm in Jumanji too. <laughs> uh, Phil Villarreal from Arizona Daily Star says, Duplex puts his viewers in a painful suplex. That's how you pronounce it, right? Suplex. <laughs> well, the the old school, the old guard said suplex. <laughs> so Duplex puts his viewers Duplé. in a painful suplex. I don't know. I'm familiar with the overhead suplex, the German suplex. I'm not sure about the painful suplex. I don't know whose finishing move that was. The DeVito suplex. The DeVito suplex. It's from Mortal Kombat 5. <laughs> Finally, Jim Shelby from Palo Alto Weekly says, DeVito keeps hurling handfuls of well-funded excrement on the screen and expects us to think it's funny. Was this movie well-funded? <laughs> the, 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 the DeVito fund. It's a trust fund baby. Actually, yeah, it was well-funded. I mean, still are in Barrymore. Ain't cheap. Especially at the turn of the millennium. Was that it? That, the quotes? That was it. We don't need any more. Much like <laughs> this movie. Much like this movie, mercifully short. Uh, Duplex is the story of, of course, Ben Stiller and Drew Barrymore playing Alex and Nancy, respectively, who are a young professional married couple in New York, and they're looking for a place to stay. Very relatable. Mm-hmm. I think that there comes a Very point. white. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're not looking for an apartment to rent. They're, they've moved on to the next step uh, uh, into adulthood where they just want a house. The Liz Lemon where they just want to buy something. Yeah. They don't want to pay rent. They want to pay a mortgage. And they find that in the boroughs of Brooklyn as truthfully what welcomes us to the movie uh, is first an animated segment that Danny DeVito narrates over explaining they got married. And now they're looking for... A place to live. And now I'm directing a movie about them. And we are serenaded quickly by the sultry tones of one Harvey Firestein as he is a, a, a local realtor and selling him on this apartment there in Brooklyn and BK. Harvey Firestein is there beginning to end. I mean, not on screen all the time, but they never wrote him off. You know, Independence Day, he dies. Uh, Bullet over Broadway, he's, he has like the one scene. He yeah, he does. He's, he's in the tunnel when the, the flames come. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, shit. I think that might be the very short list of Harvey Feinstein movies that I've seen. But still, so this, he pops up again. It was good. Oh, yeah. Mrs. Doubtfire? Oh, that's right. Okay, yeah. never mind. Although I don't think that you see him after, what? the second half of the movie like he's not there but regardless he has a very prominent role in that oh, thus here. he was a very prominent figure in my childhood because mrs doubtfire was pretty sure we wore out that vhs when myself and my sister were little kids it was your uh hawaii five oh yes uh according to the wikipedia summation they are giddy with anticipation when they find this uh dream home come true um everything looks fine except for there is a rent controlled neighbor, a tenant, excuse me, on the top floor of this duplex that they're buying. Mrs. Connolly, played by Eileen Elsol. Essel? Essel. Um, Eileen. This is Come a throwback. <laughs> Come on, Eileen. Uh, this is a throwback to that glorious time not so long ago before uh, Betty White just took every single funny old lady part. Here, we had variety. I... I've never seen this lady before. Yeah. I, I will never see her again because now Betty White would be cast if they ever did Duplex 2, the real Suplex. <laughs> yeah. You had Betty White taking everything and then that bitch June Squibb came and just, you know, kind of robbed the market temporarily. Yeah. If it's if it's funny, it's Betty White. 
if it's uh, Oscar worthy, is uh, June Squibb. Where does that leave Eileen? <laughs> uh, in her rent controlled upstairs apartment, apparently. She's old and ill and the villain needy. Is she the villain? Well, I think because I think that's immediately the interesting moral quandary that Duplex provides us with is. Are old people the bad guy, or are we the bad guy for not respecting our elders? Um, it took me back to Mute, and not just because Justin Thoreau shows up later, uh, just because Mute also made you wonder, are the Amish the enemy, <laughs> or is technology really bad? And here, it's also, are old people clinging to life past their prime, are they a burden mm-hmm. to the new generation, or are they far worthier than we give them credit for, and it's our loss if we don't see that, then we try to uh, get rid of them. Yeah. So I think the movie definitely sets that up really early on. But, I mean, I got to be honest with you, an attractive young couple like uh, Stiller and Barrymore, I was on their side for a good while, and then, uh, which made it more delicious when the turn came. And like you mentioned, they're friends with Justin Thoreau, contrarian's favorite Justin Thoreau. So uh, I didn't recognize the woman playing Justin Thoreau's wife. For context, Justin Thoreau and his wife are friends with Nancy and Alex. Alex is a writer, and Justin Thoreau is like his writer friend. Yeah, and Justin Thoreau is a, is a sellout. Yes, Justin Thoreau makes money, but but his books are supposedly not as good as Ben Stiller's one book. Old uh, JT only has three scenes in this, though, if I remember correctly. He doesn't need any more. He steals the show. Star power. Judy Dench won an Academy Award for being in a movie for eleven minutes. I mean, for Christ's sake, Thoreau looks hot. I mean, he always looks hot. His eyebrows he... are very intense, and the hair is very—it's very turn of the millennium. Yeah, he's a. Uh, <laughs> it's early two thousand chic. <laughs> yes. Uh, what did we or what did I call um? Because I'm not going to give us credit. I'm going to give me credit for this. <laughs> Marissa Tomei. No, I think in uh, Never Been Kissed, I referred to that era of style as Dreamcast chic, <laughs> yes. I think, is when I talked about Jessica Alba in that. Yes. Justin Thoreau rocking the Dreamcast chic here. Nancy, on the other hand, uh, is still in the print industry. Is she an editor at a magazine? Graphic designer, I want to say. I don't think they would have fired her just for if she was the editor. She would be doing the yeah, firing. Yeah, she might have to do with like the layout or design. <laughs> yeah, whenever we see her at work, she's just working on what the magazine looks like. Working alongside a very young Maya Rudolph. Yes. This movie had the future pegged. And her While boss. paying respect to the past as her boss is Wall- uh, exactly. Wallace Shawn. <laughs> Everybody, come in, group hug, all ages. <laughs> Rex from T- Toy Story, get over here. Uh how did you feel about Drew Barrymore? Were you as enchanted by her performance in this movie as I was? She still has so much of that youthful energy that has... It's just kind of come and gone with her. She's more of a polished actress now and right. in a later stage, but she still had that youthful exuberance here that was very contagious. Well, it's a perfect counterpart to Stiller, who's just... Ben Stiller. Stiller's Ben Stiller, and we love him for that, but... Sometimes I think that when you put Stiller next to a co-star that's also sticky, then it's it's almost like, you know, it doesn't work. Uh, what do you call that? Like the magnets, you know, repel themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you have here Drew, uh, Drew Barrymore, she's mostly playing it straight. She has a couple of, of moments of physical comedy, but for the most part, she's there for the reaction shots where mm-hmm. she's just kind of amused <laughs> at everything that's happening well, while Stiller is losing his shit. She's eternally uh, eternally optimistic in this movie. Yeah, she's like, all right, well, let's go buy something. It'll Until she's broken <laughs> yeah. by the uh, impending doom of age. So Alex is living at home uh, because he is, again, a writer and he has a deadline and he's attempting to finish a book, a work of fiction. Uh, staying at home, though, 
he is persistently pestered by Mrs. Connolly, who speaks like a pirate. Well, because her husband was a seaman. He was. <laughs> was she a wench? I mean, he was never explained. Osmosis. Yeah, I mean, she does have a parrot. She does. I always I forget that. That's her little quirk. She has a parrot, uh, not unlike Camille's Polaroid camera. It's just kind of always there and quirky. And she is just pestering him for just random odd jobs around the house, helping her run errands, helping her fix things, take out the trash. And it just always ends in these situations where you think that uh, she's a sociopath and knows exactly what she's doing. Yeah. But, but we don't want to accuse her because she's an old biddy. But it also, it, it feels true because... Clearly, they've never owned a home before, mm-hmm. and so I I just love seeing Stiller, and to a lesser extent, I guess Drew Barrymore, but Stiller is really getting the brunt of the chores, and just having him slowly come to that realization of, oh, the moment that you own a home, you can't call the super to come take care of shit. Yeah. You have to go in and do it, and you're expect if you have a tenant, now that's your job. I mean, it sucks, but really, she's just making him do his job. That's her right as, as, her, as his tenant, is to uh, let him know. <laughs> when something needs to be repaired and then he should have fucking listened about that, you know, homeowner's insurance and homeowner's responsibility. <laughs> too um, busy writing his book. <laughs> yeah. I was just imagining Harvey Firestein. They should have shown it in like a montage where he's like, and signature here for this. And they're just like, yeah, 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 yeah just get to it. We want to have sex on this old rug that we just bought. <laughs> I forgot that we do get a post coital scene in this. Oh yeah. That was it was such a relief when they finally had sex because they'd been moved in for at least a week and it hadn't happened. I mean, they there's a couple mo- uh, of scenes where they get interrupted, and then I I know you tweeted about being anxious about this uh, while we were watching it, and really my main source of anxiety was their sex life because it was non-existent, <laughs> and mine, they deserve better. <laughs> mine was this old woman ruining their lives. So Mrs. Connolly's quirks uh, expand into that too when they do finally have sex. She just is like watching them outside their uh, living room window. So there's no escaping Miss Connolly is or Mrs. Connolly, excuse me, is what we've learned here. And it's starting to affect every portion of their lives. Uh, notably, they're just not able to sleep because she sleeps with the TV on, which is fine. A lot of people do. I do. I have to have a TV on to sleep, uh, but she plays it, you know, turned up to 11. And as she the gentleman, a spinal tap would say, but I think that she wakes up halfway through and changes the channel because at one point she always starts to have I five Oh, then moves into the the love boat, and mm-hmm. then at some point she has South Park on. Yes. So unless you know she just has these recorded and the, the tape is playing. <laughs> well, I did appreciate that it killed the uh, trope of the old person that doesn't know how to use technology. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. She figures out the clapper later on. So yeah, that's the the mastermind plan is they figure out uh, because the clapper is still a prominent piece of society in two thousand three. They sneak in and somehow wire all her electronics to it. So the idea being that when they're in bed, they can give it the one-two and shut everything off. And that they do, but she is very quick uh, with the cut of her jib and is able to hit him right back with it. Again, you underestimate old people uh, at your own peril. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is the naivety of the of youth. They think that they're just going to be able to outsmart this person that's lived twice as long as they have. They're so spoiled. That's... Like I mentioned earlier, that's a trick of the movie, that you start on their side because 
they're kind of what you want to be. Mm-hmm. They're homeowners. They're young. They seem to have good jobs. They're promising. They're full of potential. And now, and then you see this they old lady. They go to South by Southwest. <laughs> yeah, they sure. put avocado on toast. <laughs> and still it has moved, has leveled up from the writer that writes at, at uh, Starbucks mm-hmm. to the writer that has his own writing room yes. at home. Yes. So so he's he's a hero. He's he, he's your guy. But then slowly... Through through the way that they treat this this old lady and the way that they react to the inconveniences that she uh, poses to them, uh, you start to realize how entitled they are. Oh yeah, and just how spoiled the fact that at first, just what they do whenever they're upset, especially uh, Drew Barrymore, is just she just goes shopping. Yeah, <laughs> that's her thing. <laughs> that's I do appreciate that it just kind of the movie dips its toe in there. That she clearly has like compulsion issues, but they but, never spell it out. Yeah, because that's just life. You just accept <laughs> people how they are. Yeah, uh, it and it would kind of lessen the 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 subtlety. That's the cool thing. They they feel real because they behave like real people. Yeah, and we don't need anybody to point it out. It's mm-hmm. just yeah, she has that problem. The, like we mentioned, their sex life is not great. Uh, I mean, when has anybody? with a healthy sex life not being able to perform just because the TV is too loud. No, it yeah. bothers you after, but not in the moment. So that's a very, very subtle uh, Especially detail. if you have someone as hot as Drew Barrymore exactly. there pining Come on. for it. Still can't even get his shirt off and then the, because the TV is too loud. <laughs> that speaks to a more serious, a deeper problem. And But the movie never spells it out. Again, this mm-hmm. is just... Uh, it, it lets you connect the dots. So eventually the next move is going to be we're going to convince her to move out. So they try to start being nice to her and uh, have like a deep discussion with her about, you know, do you really want to be here? And try to help her move out. And, of course, it results in this comedic set piece. She she chokes mm-hmm. on, a, on a caramel. They, yeah, they give her like a box of chocolates. And Man, you want to talk about anxiety. That's because she picks the caramel chocolate. And that's just... I mean, I have trouble eating milk duds. Yes. And I'm nowhere near as old as that lady. And they make sure to show it. So it's unflinching. (laughs) Yes. DeVito wanted the audience to ask questions of itself. He holds the camera there. (laughs) It's the sex scene from uh, Blue's the Warmest Color. I was going to say it's the scene from Gummo where the little kid's eating the candy bar in the bathtub. (laughs) But instead it's this old woman and she's just eating it very slowly and then starts choking on it. Stiller gives her the Heimlich. She spits it out, and it lands directly in between Drew Barrymore's uh, eyes. And she, like, faints from it. Right. Well, he drops her, mm-hmm. relieved that that he dislodged the, the chocolate. But then she just falls to the floor, doesn't get up. And then it just escalates so quickly, like in real life, where they panic. Stiller starts, like, pounding on her chest. And uh, then Drew Barrymore... Starts uh, giving her like chest compressions, right? And then makes him give her mouth to mouth. When the lady wakes up, Drew Barrymore is grabbing her boobs. It's a very and- compromising position, and Stiller's got her makeup all over his face. So then we cut to the New York Police Department, where she's filing a complaint on them because of a misunderstanding. And again, we were talking about this earlier. The interesting dynamic of you know, should we believe and appreciate our old, or just kind of write them off as you know, nonsense. And the police officer here, that who have, uh, apparently becomes assigned to this case, are these three people. He's this, a cop with a chip on his shoulder. Very much so. And he wants to protect the elderly at all costs. And frankly, he accuses Ben Stiller of being a sexual predator. Um, he gets rough with him, too. 
I thought I got flashbacks to there's something about Mary when they were interrogating uh, Stiller. Yes, yes, yes. Because they yes. think he's a serial killer. I thought that the guy was going to, the couple was going to slam his face on the counter. He does uh, the, squishes his face though, grabs the punum and just says, you know, basically don't fuck up again because if you do, I'll be there to catch you. I'm watching you. Drew Barrymore through the entire thing keeps her calm. You know, she's, she's, cool, composed. So that's the rhythm of the movie. You'll get a crazy uh, physical comedy set piece like, wow, this lady's dying and we need to just bang on her chest and give her mouth to mouth. (laughs) And then you think that, oh, well, this is going to set the tone for what comes next. But no, the the scene at at the police station plays more like a thriller and there's no stick again on their side, Mm -hmm. right? It was was a little sticky when they were uh, just trying to revive this old lady. But then once they're in the, the police station, you're cutting to reaction shots of Drew Barrymore where she's just acting like a normal person and yeah. going like, I don't know, old people, what you gonna do? <laughs> uh, during this, or kind of woven throughout this uh, period of them dealing with Mrs. Connolly, they have like their housewarming party. And this is where we meet James Remar, who just kind of shows up. His name's Chick. Where do you know James Remar from? Sex in the City. Ah, Yep. Alien Resurrection. I feel like we did something else on here with him that wasn't Alien Resurrection. Yeah, no, no, I was going to say, because we haven't done Sex and the City or Alien Resurrection. Um, shit, I'm blanking on it. Wasn't he in 40, another 48 hours? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I know the Ream has uh, been on this podcast. The before. thing is, I know him as James Remar. I don't know what his character name is on Alien Resurrection, but I just know that every time I see him, I think, oh, the first time I saw this guy was in Alien Resurrection, and he killed it. You don't know him from Sex and the City as Richard? Is he in the movies? I don't believe so. Then no. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, he was in 48 Hours. He was the bad guy in there. He was bearded and... Oh, in the first one. Really grizzled, yeah. In In the bad one. Because I, I had in my head, I could hear Curtis just talking about James Remar. So I knew I knew it was in there somewhere. So he is Chick. He introduces himself as being he's, in... He's 2000 Chick. He's, he's Dreamcast Chick. Uh, he describes himself as being in the pornography industry, but w- what is it he really does? He's I guess he's a, a killer for hire because he arrives at the party as the guest of uh, Justin Thoreau. And Justin Thoreau is writing a book. His latest book is a detective story. And he tells Ben Stiller, this is the guy that he's been using for research. Yes. And then Stiller goes, do you mean that you do you mean you brought a killer to my house? And Thoreau is like, that's okay. He's cool. And by cool, I guess he means that he does porn on the side. Yeah. And the significance of this is he gives uh, Ben Stiller his contact information, which kind of leads into where we're going here because of the just muddled and crazy nature of their living environment with Mrs. Connolly and the sleep deprivation that they're going through. Uh, Nancy fucks up at work and accidentally gives the wrong layout uh, and design to a magazine that actually goes to publish. She gets fired for uh, because it's pictures of Ben Stiller. And I'm not really sure how the mix up occurred, but it's, I blame Maya Rudolph. She was there trying to be funny. Drew Barrymore was trying to keep up with her. So I think she mocks up uh, uh, the picture of a dude in a bathtub. She puts Ben Stiller's face there. And then an arrow pointing to to his crotch saying, Mr. Peabody. Yeah. And this goes to print and is distributed. Nobody caught that. Yeah. 
there was no proofreader that just went, hmm. Sleep at the wheel. While Sean. But while Sean does ask, <laughs> did you proof this? And she said, yeah. So he took her word for it and he paid. You would think he would lose his job also, but. Well, I mean, we never see him again, so. <laughs> but we do. There was a Toy Story 3 <laughs> and 4 after this. Uh, and then on the other side of the coin, Alex finally finishes his book. Uh, he gets it right down to the wire, uh, right on the t- the day of his deadline. He gets it down and has it on his laptop, just saves it there. No backups. I, I guess this probably would have been before the time of flash drives. Actually, I was reading on this. Did you know this movie is the reason that we have the cloud now? <laughs> I did not, but that makes sense. Yeah, it was, you know, a handful of people saw this movie, but they were the right people. (laughs) And they were like, my God, it's true. If we lose the hard drive, then we're fucked. There's got to be a different way, a better way. And then they just looked up in the sky. (laughs) And, of course, being that it's just on his laptop, uh, before he can send it off, he gets back to the apartment and, Goddamn, Mrs. Connolly's got some problem. She thinks there's a big rat in her apartment, and he goes up and goes to help her out. And It's just a tiny mouse, um, which are as annoying, but can be more easily uh, The thing is, you don't, need to th- yeah, you don't need to throw a laptop at a mouse. Which is her immediate response. <laughs> a rat, maybe. She mouse, throws, no. She throws it at the mouse, and it pretty much like a curling puck just glides across her floor, like directly into the fire in her fireplace. Uh, Ben Stiller attempts to put it out. And I guess the um, parallel to Mrs. Doubtfire here is he trips the, the major thing that he needs flies into the street and then like a street sweeper runs it over. Yeah. It's several sets of wheels going over that laptop, destroying it. And once again, Drew Barrymore, pretty cool, calm and collected. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> considering how crazy everything is going, which I loved. You know, you can't help but think of the same type of scene performed badly. And yeah. I'm sorry, Jamie Lee Curtis, but going back to you in Christmas with the Cranks, when you slide, you're you're running after that ham or turkey, whatever. It was ham, right? Yes. It, it, it's just the screaming and the noises and the way that it's shot. But here, it's just, it's crazy enough without the enhancement, without underlining every single emotion. So... It's actually a lot funnier when you see uh, Stiller just watching his uh, his laptop get run over and over and over. And Drew Barrymore is there kind of like, wow, I can't believe this is happening. I was going to say that in Doubtfire, it's just one uh, passing swipe. And this is just like repeated kick in the groin type thing. But yeah, she brings a sense of balance to it. And it's just kind of like, well, what are you going to do? Not have sex with Ben Stiller. Nope. Because of this, he misses his deadline and his publisher doesn't buy his excuse. So he is let out of his contract. So now they're both unemployed. They're in their dream home, but with no way to to fund it, no way to pay for it, and nothing to do, nothing to hang their hat on in the way of work. And in their mind, they have a nightmare of a neighbor living upstairs. But really, this is this is really the key moment where the movie decides which way to go because uh, a more uplifting movie, I guess, a more hopeful. It takes movie. a turn here. Oh yeah, uh, but it, it would have shown them deciding to go. To the elderly for advice. They've been around longer. <laughs> I'm sure uh, Mrs. Connolly's lives has had uh, its ups and downs. Uh-huh. So she would be able to advise somewhat. She's not an idiot. I mean, if they were not so obsessed with getting her out of the house, they would have realized that she's actually pretty smart um, because of the way she manipulates them. 
<laughs> the first time that she tries to get Ben uh, Ben Stiller to do chores for her, the first thing she does is she buys his book mm-hmm. and asks if he would sign it. And after that, she has him. So uh, really what they should have done is just go up to her and go, hey, we just both lost our jobs. <laughs> What did you do back what in we, the thirties? Yeah. When... What did you do in the Great Depression? Yes, <laughs> but that's not the route they take. Oh no! Instead, they begin plotting to kill Mrs. Connolly. It begins with simple daydreams of how they would get rid of her and how they would take care of the situation, and then turns to them actually uh, trying little things, not full intentioned. Yeah, because at first they're just trying to get her sick. It's not like jigsaw booby traps or anything like that, but. They try well, to get not her at si- the beginning. <laughs> they try to get her sick. Then they try to um, blow out the pilot light on her stove to hopefully, you know, gas poison. Uh, and then Drew Barrymore somehow, much like Jessica Biel in the uh, 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre, is uh, a Swiss Army woman and is able to somehow rig up a lamp to just electrocute someone. With a big smile on her face, <laughs> very calmly again. <laughs> stiller is being Stiller, just kind of. Fiddling with the knobs and, and the but stuff. But for the first time in the movie, out. Drew Barrymore seems at peace when she's like <laughs> rigging up this lamp to kill this old woman. She's found her purpose and it was not graphic design related. And of course, that backfires on both of them. Ben Stiller gets a big, uh, the pilot light in the oven he forgets to blow out. So it reignites the uh, stove and blasts him back. And then it also at the same time causes Drew Barrymore to be electrocuted by this lamp. Fortunately, neither die, but they, you would think, learn their lesson at this point. I mean, you could argue that the extreme trauma, uh, in addition to the sleeplessness and the just the stress, the compounded stress of living in this house with this lady living upstairs for so long, it's really what causes him to crack. Not just the fact that this lady was getting on their nerves, but everything together. Mm-hmm. Uh, after you have an oven explode in your face, you're just not thinking clearly. There's, yeah, there's not uh, too many places to move up from there. They notice a leak in the floor. Uh, Stiller intensifies the leak, uh, basically uses a wrench to loosen the, the bolt on it to make the leak even more powerful, with the plan being that the floor will just get so soaked it'll eventually give through, she'll fall through and die. Eventually it does give through, but she does not fall through. She's right on the precipice of it. And right. Kind of looks down like, what I happened? could have died. <laughs> so the what's... It, it's such a smart way of, of subverting the expectations because it's a perfect plan. It's like a Mission Impossible movie where they explain what's going to happen and it seems to be foolproof. And then on the day of, something changes. Like there's a mouse running down the yeah. vent or whatever. In this case, is that instead of watching um, her usual shows, there's a, what, River Dance mm-hmm. or something on. And so she's not just watching but she's dancing. Do you remember the river? You were not in the country yet, were you? No, I've seen the video. Uh, It was a phenomenon. Michael Flatley, the Lord of the Dance. Yes, I remember. That was a nice piece of nostalgia. I was just like, oh, yeah, that was a thing. (laughs) So, wait, are you telling me that that was relevant when this movie came out? No. It Uh, it already? Yes. It it had already come and gone. (laughs) Maybe it was relevant when the movie was written? (laughs) That's possible, yes. That was back when... uh, the lady playing Mrs. Connolly was supposed to play the Drew Barrymore character. And then it went to develop in hell. Uh, Not unlike Freddy versus Jason. The fact that she's of Irish descent mm-hmm. is the reason why she's dancing along River Dance, Naturally. which saves her life. It's all interconnected, very smartly put together in this screenplay. Heritage. 
heritage is what saves us in the end. Flora falls through. That same cop is back. Let me see if he has, his character actually has a name here. Officer Dan, played by oh Rob- yeah, they, they she says Officer Dan a lot. Uh, Robert Wisdom, and he's back. He thinks that something's there's trouble afoot. He thinks that Ben Stiller rigged this. <laughs> On top of being a sexual predator, he's also a. Uh, what does he think? Does he think that it's for the insurance? Does he really think that he's trying to kill this old lady? I don't know. There's he, a whole lot of questions about this cop that we will never know the answer. No, actually, we do know the answer to. Mm-hmm. The movie gives us... Not quite the, there yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, he definitely thinks he's uh, a nefarious individual, to say the very least. He says, uh, you know, you'll buy her a new TV and you know, make up for this, make everything right. So, of course, she gets a lavish TV with a massive surround sound system. But in the end of this, also, they finally buy a gun. I don't think they really know what they're going to do with it. Before they can even really think about it, it backfires. Yeah. No pun intended. intended. Before that, I love the escalation because it happens so quickly in a way, but also very gradually. Because the movie, I would say... It's about half the runtime before you even get into this plot line of they want to kill her. Mm-hmm. It's about half a movie of them just being annoyed and, and just trying to get her out but not actually kill her. Then the midpoint happens and now they actively try to kill her. At first, it's just kind of like an accidental thing. Yeah. And then slowly they start you know, doing the traps, saw style. And then the creepiest thing to me, even before they bought the gun, is when they Drew Barrymore just says... We're, we're complicating things too much. And she just grabs a pillow <laughs> and they break into their house, their house and she's just going to asphyxiate it. She's going to go more. Mm-hmm. And uh, probably the, the second biggest twist in the movie is that they break in, but that lady's waiting for them. Yeah. And she gives them this Shakespearean speech where their minds are blown and I don't know about you but I was just I had no idea my note says what the fuck is happening because that lady turned out to be even more in control than I thought yeah but she doesn't really it's the Samuel L. Jackson at the end of Django where he drops the cane and says (laughs) I counted six shots motherfucker right except you still have maybe half an hour of movie to go Yes. So it was like, where are we going from here? She didn't call the cops, even though they broke in. And it was clear that they were going to kill her. And she knows it. She she lets them go with some sort of smart-ass remark saying, uh, I'm not very cold. Thank you. Cause yeah. <laughs> and gives the pillow back. Yeah. Basically, just puts the fear of God in him. Yeah. I mean, Stiller. I, I was love here it. before you. I will be here after you. <laughs> yeah. And then they get back and Stiller has this very meta line where he just says, those were the weirdest seven minutes of my life. And I wanted to say, me too. <laughs> With the gun, though, with the mishap they have, they don't even really know how to operate it. And Drew Barrymore discharges it in, uh, inadvertently, shoots Ben Stiller and the, the genitals. They go to the hospital. Uh, Officer Dan shows back up. And at this point now, switches the focus and begins accusing Drew Barrymore of spousal abuse. Yeah. Uh, he hasn't been watching the movie, obviously, because he would have known that Drew Barrymore is the least dangerous of the two. She's... Pretty chill. Oh, yeah. She would never shoot uh, Ben Stiller in the dick on purpose. Um, we get some weird scene where uh, this like voyeur scene where Drew Barrymore, Nancy has to watch Alex get pounded off by his doctor. He basically asks <laughs> like if his dick still works and she just gives him like a hand jibber under the towel. 
Was it the doctor or was it the nurse? I don't know, but it was uh, interesting casting. They found this smoking hot Asian woman that didn't really seem to be doing anything medically inclined. Just kind of going for it. And still are no resistance. None. It was so weird. It was very odd. Uh, I mean, and then they started I, playing like some like soulful music. Right. It, it goes into slow-mo. It was like R&B, yeah. Um, it was a welcome respite, though, because we've been on, on this on this murder plotline for a while, and I just kind of needed a reminder that this could also be just a light and fluffy comedy. Um, it's been a while since we'd had the sex scene between uh, Drew Barrymore and Ben Stiller. I need to know there was something else going on in their lives, mm-hmm. in their lives besides this obsession with murdering their their tenant. So uh, we recover from the gunshot fairly quickly, and at this point. They have no other recourse. They want her gone, so they are going to hire a killer to take this out. Enter James Remar. Chick returns. Payoff. The payoff for all this. Because uh, he left his card in a porno DVD that Ben Stiller, like a normal dude, said he got rid of but didn't really. So still have the contact. They meet up. They, they are informed that it's going to be $25,000. Um, fittingly enough, the budget of the movie for... <laughs> him to take out anybody they like offer him five hundred dollars and he's like flat rate for wet works 25 grand so naturally he goes to his much more successful friend uh <laughs> justin thoreau for assistance so did you think that that was too high a price i actually thought that was kind of low you can pay someone twenty five thousand dollars and they'll kill someone well but as a flat rate i mean i don't know because it can't be in theory if this wasn't the the old lady from hell, it should be a pretty easy job, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to you know, because he could, in theory, pay him twenty five thousand dollars to still kill killing Harvey Fies, <laughs> right? But I'm talking about the amount of work, not the psychological damage. Uh, I'm assuming that by the time that you're like uh, like Remo here, you don't care. You're insulated. You've killed so many people. <laughs> that you're you, numb to it, right? So you're charging for labor, not for the baggage, and. So would he charge more if he had to kill Justin Thoreau or or Harry Feinstein? Firestein. Firestein. <laughs> I mix him up with the Harvey we don't like. Yes. Well, we'll get to our answer to that question here quickly. Um, or I guess the punchline even, because he, <laughs> he's not even worth the 25000 that he uh, gets paid. Uh, he's unable to come with the money. Alex approaches, as I mentioned, Justin Thoreau asking for a loan. He basically tells him to go push rope up a hill. But he gives him a book. He does give him a book, which Ben Stiller just rips apart in anger, jealousy, envy. It's one of the sins. They sell everything they own to get the $25,000 together to pay Chick to take out Mrs. Connolly. So he goes to kill her uh, with a knife. Pretty pretty brutal shit. Not even like a silenced pistol. He's just got this massive 007 knife that looks like it belongs in a Rambo movie. Uh, begins encroaching on her apartment. She wakes up and shoots him with a spear gun that was Mr. Connolly's. Also set up earlier in the movie. Yeah, she I had think it on the her first mantle. thing. Yeah, the first thing that uh, Stiller does when they get invited into her apartment is while well, she's in the kitchen, he he's fiddling with the with the spear gun and almost shoots Drew Barrymore. Therefore, establishing that it works. And while all this is going on, Officer Dan and some children had come to sing Christmas carols because apparently it's Christmas. Oh, yeah, because uh, 
chick had said that uh, he had a function at Christmas because they said Christmas Eve. Really, is, is that oh. a good date? He's like, yeah, I had a function, and I have a function, and after that, I can <laughs> swing by, take care of it. So they're singing Christmas carols, but of course, Officer Dan being there, he wants to go see uh, Mrs. Connolly and begins moving up towards the apartment when the last resort is basically Drew Barrymore just starts beating the shit out of Ben Stiller to pay off the initially implied domestic abuse angle. Yes. And then instead of arresting her on the spot, he witnesses assault uh, in an act of hubris. He said, I'm going to go and I'll be back in 10 minutes to get all this taken care of because he has to take the kids. He makes the choice. Yes. Uh, do I arrest them and possibly scar these kids for life because I don't know how ugly it's going to get? Or do I take the kids home, come back, and maybe it sorts it out itself? He at least gives them the notice. Get your shit together because I'm going to be back in 10 minutes and then we're going to figure this all out. Meanwhile, the scuffle upstairs escalates. A fire begins. Uh, by the time they get up there, uh, does James Remar die? No, he he runs off. He he has the spear through his shoulder. Yeah, he still has it through his shoulder. We That's never see it. him take the money, right? I guess not. So the twenty five thousand just go up in flames because he told him to leave the the money on the dumbwaiter. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I very well may. Yeah, I think it did. That's a shame. <laughs> it was everything they owned, and <laughs> they sold the peacock. This fire's raging now. This fire began when James Remar was attempting to kill Mrs. Connolly, and it's pretty much engulfed her, and I'm not quite sure if she passed out from smoke inhalation or what happened, but by the time they get up there... James Remar just punched her out on his way out. And then ran, just holding the spear in place. Alex and Nancy get up there. They see Mrs. Connolly surrounded by flames, and you know for the past hour, they've been trying to get rid of this woman, and then you know with their backs against the wall... Or not even that. When they have what they want in front of them, they can't really... They realize they need to do the right thing. They have the moment of clarity. Yes. They realize that the only way to save the planet is to work together with past generations, <laughs> not to try to get get rid of them. So they swaddle her up along with her parrot, take them to the street, wait for the authorities to arrive, and the fire is put out. Did you think they were coming back, though? Because DeVito the, the does this thing. He stages it in a way where they see the body... They see the flames, they look at each other, and they walk out of the room. And it takes a moment before they come back with the fire extinguishers. Did you think they were coming back, or did you think they had left? Because uh, the movie is constructed to where it could go either way. Based on the inflection of the score, I was pretty confident they were coming back. <laughs> I mean, unless DeVito was, who's known for dark comedy, was really playing a triumphant tone over the death of the old woman. <laughs> they do come back. They do take care of Mrs. Connolly. Uh, they then uh, evict themselves and they sell their apartment back. And when, and this is, I guess we don't really know how much longer later. Um, Maybe a I month mean, long or enough so. for them to rebuild because they're selling it to a couple that loves it. Yeah. That's Therefore, right. they must have seen a, a refurbished <laughs> the, the original uh, fixer upper. They take care of selling it over to this new couple. And then when they go to say goodbye to Mrs. Connolly, it's revealed that she's passed away. Harvey Firestein finds her, and he's not particularly concerned about it. It was her time. Harvey Firestein, I mean, he's been around for a while. He's seen some shit. I mean, yeah, he's a fucking realtor in <laughs> Brooklyn. Of course he's seen some shit. It's then revealed that Harvey Firestein, Mrs. Connolly, and Officer Dan were all in on this the whole time. She's... Still alive. This is 
the equivalent to the ending of The Usual Suspects mashed with the ending of Basic. Wouldn't you say? Because the reveal is a one-by-one one where you see first Officer Dan sitting at the table laughing like we've never seen him laugh throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. And then you see that next to him is Harvey Firestein. And then the last the last big reveal is uh, Mrs. Connolly walking out with a plate of something, just like Samuel L. Jackson at the end of uh, <laughs> Basic. I think the intentions here are even more spirited, uh, mean-spirited than those ones you mentioned, though, as the three of them have been running a real estate scam. Essentially, they rent it out um, – Harvey Firestein poses as the realtor, uh, and then they have to deal with Mrs. Connolly. She drives them insane, and then Officer Dan comes and basically harasses these people. And then the payoff is she always just dies in the end, so no one suspects a thing. It's a pretty good racket they got going there. It obviously pulled one over on Alex and Nancy. In a whole bunch of people, because I think the last shot of that sequence is a whole wall of uh, pictures of, I guess, the many different couples that have lived there. There's a, yeah, on the mantle. Yeah. They yeah. just It's a couple Kennedys there. <laughs> it's how they make their money. It's how they keep their racket going. So, we thought that the movie was saying that coexistence between generations is possible. That the the, the gulf between baby boomers and Gen Xers is not uh is not impossible to cross. No. But then but then what it tells you is you're Beware. right to have your guard up because <laughs> yeah. old people are always going to be smarter than you. Yes, and they will not go down without a fight. <laughs> so you better you better be ready. At the same time, it could also be making the argument that tough love is necessary because fucking Ben Stiller, he's not a real writer in the sense that he sits down and writes. Half the movie he's taking naps and complaining about things distracting him. Mm-hmm. What takes it for him to... to write a new book you know what does it take going through this whole thing this whole nightmare the tough love of mrs Connolly. Uh, yeah the, that's how the movie ends with him uh having a new book aptly named duplex and then danny devito's voiceover saying if you want to know how it turns out read the book yeah i guess they had the whole we don't even get another cartoon like uh voiceover it's just it's the pink panther and danny devito like running around but yes, to to your point, he creates this. Uh, he writes this book, Duplex, becomes a bestseller. They relocate to some other area of New York, I believe he says the Bronx, and that's the end. Or is it? Or is it? I want to know how does it do compared to the sales of Justin Thoreau's book. <laughs> uh, that was for whatever the Duplex sequel was intended to be. Triplex. But, triplex. But no one went out and saw this, so it was for naught. Would triplex had been about keeping Officer Dan, Harvey Farsing, and the old lady in just a brand new couple falling for the same scam? Uh, or they circle, like somehow Alex and Nancy become aware of it, and then they get looped into like assisting with the scam. Oh. <laughs> because you need still You have to have still and Barrymore for there to be any intrigue in it. Saying that with all due respect to Harvey Firestein. <laughs> well, no, because Duplex was a theatrical release and Triplex would have been just a direct-to-video kind of cash-in sequel. It wasn't even warranted in this case. No, it was not. But yes, that was Duplex. That was Duplex. My poor, sweet Drew Barrymore. <sighs> she's the best part of the movie. It, it, inching towards real talk. I. She's what kept me watching. 
if we were a video podcast, I would commission someone to uh, have like a Street Fighter level with the DVD cover or the theatrical poster of Christmas with the Cranks, like triumphantly celebrating. And then that a new challenger has appeared. <laughs> you threw her down the stairs? No. But I imagined it. Oh. And I liked it. I'm evil. I'm a horrible, horrible person. Thank you. Come on, she's practically ruined our lives. It's perfectly natural to have thoughts like that. Really? Yeah. I mean, I've even had a couple. Like what? Just, you know, snapping her neck or electrocuting her. Or just beating her to death. Decapitating her. Drowning her. Bludgeoning her. In a humane way. Dicing her up to little little pieces. But asphyxiating her first so she didn't feel anything. I'm glad you clarified that. Well. You're evil too. <laughs> I'm finished. That's what I am. And we are recording for real talk for Duplay. <sighs> this is very, very bad. How bad is it, Alex? <laughs> Uh, it's duplex. Well, again, um, it's 89 minutes and it felt like I felt I lost less of my life watching Avengers or Watchmen than I did with this. And they, this movie was literally less than half the length of those movies. It's frustrating to to close the loop on the Street Fighter thing. This movie has Drew Barrymore. Okay. There's nothing Christmas with the Cranks that compares to what Drew Barrymore is doing here, which I actually quite liked. We will need to agree to disagree as Duplex. I don't know. I'm still fresh on it, but it may take the top spot for worst movie we've done. Oh, God. No, you need to you need to let it settle or you need to rewatch clips from Christmas with the Cranks. Whatever the case. What is not in dispute is that Duplex was released on September 26th of 2003. I want to say this is one of those movies that was done for a few years before it actually got any type of release. Um, As you mentioned, directed by Danny DeVito, written by Larry Doyle. Uh, Music, actually, in the first portion, I stopped mid-sentence because this caught my eye when I was reading it. As music by David Newman, who I'm a fan of. A budget of $40 million for a box office return of just a hair over $19 million. So it was a bit of a bizom, especially for the point in time in the year. Um, not even Harvey Firestein can save this. I mean, there's not enough Firestein really. Uh, we mentioned the Contreras Corner. You can just really... stop there. There's just not enough Harvey Firestein really. Uh, was not nominated for any Academy Awards. What? It has a 35% of Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Our boy, Roger Deber, gave it two out of four stars and wrote that murder schemes aimed at Mrs. Connolly don't generate the laughter they should, maybe because no matter what she does, she still seems irredeemably, unredeemably a sweet old lady. Mm. I don't agree with that. (laughs) 
how you feel about the elderly might affect how you watch <laughs> this movie and how you experience it. Just wrapping, I'm stealing your gimmick here, reading uh, Ebert's review. Duplex is all about plotting. It tries to impose emotions that we don't really feel. We can't identify with Mrs. Connolly, that's for sure. But we can't identify with Alex and Nancy either because we don't share their frustration. And the reason we don't is because we don't believe it. There's too much contrivance and not enough plausibility. And so finally, we're just enjoying the performances and wishing they'd been in a more persuasive movie, which I think kind of almost says what I think what you were trying to say about Drew Barrymore was that she's good and would be better in a better movie. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think that when I look back for some reason to watching Duplex, what I'll remember the most is going to be that no matter what was happening, I was happy whenever Drew Barrymore was on screen. <laughs> <laughs> Felt bad for her. I mean, that's evergreen. Yeah. No, but there are times, even uh, recently when we watched um, Never Been Kissed, uh, a much better movie. And also, you could argue she has more to do in that movie. Mm-hmm. She's front and center. They give her a lot of stuff, a lot of comic set pieces. She dances. She she pratfalls. Uh, she has a romance. Here, she's mostly in the background. There's a moment in the movie where I thought that things were going to get interesting. I felt that, oh, the first half of the movie was going to be Ben Stiller having trouble dealing with, with the old lady, not being able to write, while Drew Barrymore is just happy-go-lucky, living, uh, uh, having a great career and everything, and then they were going to swap. Yeah. And we're going to see Ben Stiller being a successful writer, and then Drew Barrymore slowly going crazy, dealing with the old lady, and that was going to put strain in their marriage. No. Nope. But for, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes of the movie, it looked like Drew Barrymore was going to drive what was happening. And that seemed like it would have been more interesting than what we got. But even then, even though it didn't happen, I always felt that she was the funniest thing in the movie. <laughs> and she was doing a lot less than everybody else. They would just cut to her in the background. She was and... the only thing that just kind of seemed okay with being there. Yeah. It, well, I think that maybe it was just uh, that sort of a... smoking hot Asian they paid to tug off Ben Stiller. <laughs> what was that? I don't know. That is so fucking weird. Well, let's go in order. <laughs> Let me do the quotes first. Because there are people who like this movie. Starting with Christopher Smith from Bangor Daily News, Maine, who says, A controlled farce that finds his cast mining several big laughs, while DeVito, the cynic, deepens the dysfunction with a final surprise twist. Mm. Were you surprised by the twist? Mm, I mean, I, I didn't care. You didn't care? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did not expect a twist. I, I didn't need a twist. I just needed the movie to be over. <laughs> um Brian Orndorf from Modamag.com says the interplay between Stiller, Barrymore, and the elderly Essel is what makes Duplex hum perfectly at times. And finally, Eric Childress from eFilmCritic.com says when a single look can make me laugh harder than any three films I can name this year, that has to be worth something. I don't know what fucking look he's talking about. And now... (laughs) What three films? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Mr. I'm, Childress, let me give you a list of movies. I'm looking up funny. what movies came out that year just so I can go ahead and debunk this. Okay, Lost in Translation came out that year. Uh, that There's much funnier shit in that movie than anything in here. National Security with Steve Zahn and Martin Lawrence. <laughs> I remember some hoots and hollers in that one. And let's see. And fucking Old School came out. That, that, that was me only going through January and February, so that guy can <laughs> eat my ass. 
And uh, in the last bit of indignance uh, with this is Barrymore earned a Golden Raspberry Award nomination for Worst Actress for her performance in Duplex and Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. Well, I haven't seen the second one, but assuming it's similar to the first one. The, the, the crowning achievement of McGee's uh, <laughs> filmmaking career. Uh, but she lost to Jennifer Lopez for Geely. Fair. Having seen Geely now. Geely is better than this movie. But is Jennifer Lopez better than Drew Barrymore? Mm, gobble, gobble? No, yeah. <laughs> That's fair, but Geely's better than this. No, uh, you've forgotten how bad Geely was. You don't know what we just watched, apparently. <laughs> this was shorter than Geely. It didn't have... Geely still has enough of like a shock value of how bad it is to carry it. This is just like... Okay, I'll give you that. Yeah. But would you watch Geely again? Yeah, well, okay, over this. <laughs> Like, I don't plan on watching either of these movies for the rest of my existence, but if I had to, like, you know, someone's like, hey, I'll pay $10 to watch either Geely or Duplex, I'd be like, Geely, please. That's all it takes, $10? You know what I mean. <laughs> I think a, a better test is if you had to tell someone, hey, you need to watch this movie, Geely or, or For Duplex. what, like, sense? As in, like, you want to laugh at something that's really bad? Geely. Really? Yes. Fucking um, Doug. What's his name? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Justin Bartha. Justin, yeah. You kind of have to see that to believe it. <laughs> There's nothing in this movie that falls into that category. And again, I this agree. was a, a user or user. This was a listener uh, request. My buddy Steve. I don't quite know why. I never heard back from him on why. I was just like, sure, because I just looked it up and I saw it was 120 or an hour and 29 minutes. I was like, this will be fine. How wrong I was. The naivety of man. Well, okay. How long? Do you remember when the movie lost you? Um, I'm I'm not sure if I was in it to begin with. Because like I didn't two... really have a reason to care about these characters. I mean, they're Drew Barrymore and Ben Stiller. What else do you need? I did like the animation opening. I thought that was going to be like some kind of constant or something like reoccurring bit throughout it. Or even... You know, the the animation sort of sells you that you're about to watch a movie about, I mean, that sounds really boring, but about real estate. Well. <laughs> or, or like homeowning, you know, the idea of, oh, it's really hard to find a decent place. And I thought that that was going to be what drives a movie really. But no, it's just, it's more about, it's really hard to live with a shitty person or a person that's that you're not compatible with or whatever. That was, um, was it Ebert that said that you can relate? I mean, mm -hmm. I... I don't agree 100% because whenever the movie managed to connect with me a little bit was because, I mean, I've had bad roommates. So I can see the frustration of just having somebody in your living space that you don't want to live with and yeah. not knowing how to get them out of there. And, I mean, it's a weird movie and it doesn't work for a myriad of reasons, but I wouldn't say that the flaw starts with the concept. Well, the animation thing and some of the cinematography early on some of like the there's a couple like perspective shots the the main one I'm thinking of is there's a shot of Ben Stiller sitting on a stool below Drew Barrymore that's like over Drew Barrymore's shoulder and it makes her look like 10 feet tall. Oh yeah, when she brings the whatever the stool the stool yeah, the special so stool. That there was a few things in like the first half hour coupled with that animated sequence. I thought this was going to be like a movie that was kind of a throwback to um you mentioned Pink Panther earlier, but movies like that that were like 
of kind of a previous generation that were kind of more slapsticky and silly, like, oh, how do we get into this situation type thing? And there's none of that there. And like, and that's the other thing with this. This movie has zero legacy to speak of. So a movie that's 16, almost 17 years old, the fact that we went into it just completely blind and even still like partway Nobody's through it, we're just kind of like making up our mind as to like what this is. I guess that's the deal. It's just there is no legacy to speak of. You never find the the ending of Duplex listed in one of those uh, top 20 twist endings. No, it's not. The sixth sense, this is not. Um, I think that it's just maybe where it fails, where it really fails is in the the execution of uh, the escalation. I think that there's a a big jump to be to make from these characters being irritated and frustrated with this old lady to them wanting to kill her. Yes. And maybe that's what really I keep thinking of Ebert's comments about not having a anybody to relate to. Mm-hmm. It's like, but you you have at the beginning of the movie, it's just that then they become something else. Yeah. But but a movie that takes its time to take you there, I think wouldn't wouldn't lose you. You even if you're like, oh I would never kill that old lady, you at least understand where they're coming from. Uh here, I don't know. Maybe there's half an hour in the cutting room floor where you see more of the descent into madness. Because um, even still, like, just being pragmatic, it's like, just fucking hire someone. Hire <laughs> someone to come in, like, an hour a day and help her with her shit. Yeah, it's just... Oh, I thought you meant hire someone to get rid of her. No, 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 <laughs> no. Like, they got there, but it was at the end of the movie. I mean, movie. like, a, a nanny type thing, or, a, like, a assisted living type thing, but... There's, it's just so stupid because, yeah, it just goes from quirky and funny to we're going to kill this old bitch type Yeah, thing. and it's not very – it's but it's still slapsticky, so it's really weird. I, I just – I don't I don't remember anymore when is it that the movie started lo- – that lost me completely. But I do know that when, when we get to the scene where they're giving her CPR, I was I, – I felt like suddenly we'd switch gears and we're somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that that scene, and then like the follow up, and then when they're accusing Ben Stiller of being a sexual predator, I was just like, "What the fuck?" Right now, there, I, that's where I'm just. This is okay. not light or believable or funny. Anymore. Right, it's not. You know, up till then, I, I could kind of believe the idea of, "Oh, you moved in here, and there's this tenant, and she's annoying, and she makes you do her chores, and and there's a leak, and all this stuff." But but then when you get to this, this is just a, a, a hyper real comedy in. It just doesn't work anymore. I guess what the movie had going for it, it's just gone. And now it's just Ben Stiller and Drew Barrymore stuck in a... It's not even I that don't funny. see what you see with Drew Barrymore in this, man. I, I'm telling you. I, She's Drew Barrymore, which is better than most. But exactly. Like, yeah. I think that's it. She's... I mean, you could say something about Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller's playing Ben Stiller. But... It pa- I, it's like I was watching this and it just like pained me. I'm like, this is the same dude. Like, this is Walter Mitty. Yes. This is Tug Speedman. Yes, but I mean, I I know great actors make bad movies. Yeah, well, I think the thing with Drew Barrymore is, uh, like I said in in Contrarian's Corner, I appreciated that she was not hamming it up. If nothing else, when the movie goes bananas. I think you're forgetting the scene where she gets electrocuted and has to make like this face where she crosses her eyes. Five seconds. (laughs) (laughs) And I put that on the thing I remember the most. I put that on the veto. I... I honestly, I don't know if that was a choice from Drew Barrymore or if it was just that she was 
really she didn't care and she was just completely amused by the the train wreck that she was in but she looks so kind of happy <laughs> through the entire movie and you can kind of rationalize it and make it work and that's what i did to me it was like oh that's her character she's nowhere near as as frantic as as ben stiller and she can kind of like go with the flow a little more and even when they're discussing the fact that they're gonna have to kill this lady she's just happy about it i really think that it was funny when they were uh later in the movie they're at the bar when they're finally sharing with each other their fantasies of killing her yeah and she feels really bad and then stiller starts going on about all the different ways that he's thought about killing her and then drew barrymore gets a big smile and she's like oh you are also a bad person like me and i thought that was funny i mean I wasn't laughing, but the clip <laughs> was... they mix in there of Stiller just like casually throwing the body bag into the the harbor that that was good. Um, oh, dude, it's so fascinating to me. Okay, again, I feel like I said I said this before. I feel like I heard at one point in time there was something with this movie that it was delayed. It had been finished for a while and then released based on the aesthetic of the movie, and it's not like. It's it's not like Drew Barrymore was like Firestarter age here, uh, so it could have been in the moment, or it could have been two years prior. It doesn't seem like it was. It, it I didn't get the same thing from watching like Cabin in the Woods. I'm like, man, Chris Hemsworth looks fucking young here. <laughs> I say all that to say, Harvey Firestein age is the key there. <laughs> man, he's got that audible chocolate of a voice. He can just. That's what bummed me out though was when Devito because I knew Harvey Firestein was in this, uh-huh. and when Devito started doing the opening uh, narration, I was like, "Fuck." <laughs> You got Firestein on the payroll for this. You're not doing shit with it. So let me, if you'll indulge me, let me see exactly when this went down. So this was two or three years away from Danny DeVito being on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. One of the most like on the nose of its time comedies uh especially his contribution to it i i am not that big of a fan of this but i can say that it's been like one of the most popular like comedy adult comedies of its era so it's so fascinating to me that just a few years before it he was behind a camera somewhere like telling drew barrymore cross your eyes like you're being electrocuted it's such a tone deaf not of its time i don't know what time period this movie would have been but i know it's not 2003 well I think that the 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 bit where she gets electrocuted and and Ben Stiller gets blown up and all that stuff that works if that's the movie that you were doing at the beginning but I think what really makes it fall flat is that that's not the movie we were watching we watched 45 minutes of something else and then it just felt weird I've seen him I've seen other Danny DeVito movies and he's so much better than this. I mean, I I was mentioning to you, uh, throw Mama off the train, but uh, he did uh, War of the Roses. He did Matilda. I mean, all those are they're weird and they're quirky, but they're consistent in their tone and they seem to know where they're going. And you know what? What else this movie is missing? It just feels like it doesn't go far enough. It's like okay, if you were gonna go with the crazy idea of these guys are this should have been an R-rated men, movie, right? And it should have gone just balls out like be just really dark and really just go for it and the fact that these two uh people are trying to kill this old woman and then really make her fight back or whatever you know it just felt like a lot of time maybe because it was trying to be a little harmless they were spinning their wheels and you had like funny set pieces but really nothing that that had any impact they kept it low consequence enough 
And then also they tried to do enough trailer humor to where like, Oh dude, that was the worst thing. Uh, when I say that too, I don't, I'm not trying to say like trailer park humor. I'm trying to say humor directly made to put into a trailer to get like yokels to go see it. Well, I mean, I haven't seen the trailer, but don't you think that the, the whole thing with the sink when Stiller is, uh, Oh the yeah, sink I forgot is to talk about and, that, and then she throws up. And on she him. that's just disgusting, and I could totally see that in the trailer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do wonder. There was a trailer trying to sell you the, the the crazy. No, the trailer would be the point of view of where he's looking up, and then she sees her heave over, and then <laughs> duplex. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and then you just cut to the uh, the aftermath. Yeah, still are covered yep. in shit. Yep, exactly. And then something funny that the old lady says. Yeah. Yep, oh, nailed it. <laughs> well, like who let the dogs out plays in the background. Uh, also, the year before this, um, Danny DeVito directed Death to Smoochie. Have you seen it? No, but it's I know great. It, it's, I know it's a lot a, of people are a big fan of it. Yeah, it, it's a big bomb. But oh, it was a bomb. Lost like forty-two million dollars. Fascinating. Anyway. Uh, the more and more we're talking about this is it really just does seem a disaster on the level of Christmas with the cranks. Maybe it's too early to say it's worse than it, but having the parts it has and getting what came from it is definitely Christmas with the cranks vibes. In the sense that they're bad movies. Yes. I think I enjoyed watching it. I mean, as much as I did uh, or didn't uh, more than Christmas with the cranks. Christmas the Cranks just made me angry from beginning to end. This, to be fair, this got me angry by the end. But to be fair, I I'd seen Christmas the Cranks already. Oh so yeah. If yeah. I watch Duplex again, I might have the same journey <laughs> where it just irritates the hell out of I me. I just don't know who this movie was for. Because even New still, Yorkers, it's not like New Yorkers a, that are that are always saying that they'll do whatever it takes to get an apartment or house. But even still, there's a way to tell that story. There's been like three episodes of Thirty Rock just based around that same thing, and they're all great. This is just, it's not. Yeah, I, I don't know who it's for. Because a lot of movies, especially comedies about families or you know couples, you, the idea is you span you know, you go with your family and shit. And like if some person in their forties or fifties took their elderly mother or father to this, that that makes things uncomfortable, I would think. And uh it's not a date movie because there's no real romance between them except for that one, the one shot. Sex scene. It's not even a scene. It's just a <laughs> implied nude Drew, Drew Barrymore flipping her hair back in a very sultry fashion <laughs> and exhaling really sexily, which is easy for her to do because she can just turn it on like boom. Stiller is just dabbing at his forehead. With <laughs> I was about to say, there's not too much raw sexual prowess from Ben Stiller, but I think his dad stole that. Uh, and then, yeah, I know I've drawn a bunch of attention to it, but you want to talk about a, a movie derailing scene, that woman just forcefully grabbing Ben Stiller's <laughs> junk and, like, fondling it. I mean, we were off the rails by then already. This That's just the most, I guess it stands out because it has nothing to do with the plot. No. You could remove that and everything still makes sense as much as the movie makes sense. It just seems stacked on so they could have a a handjob joke. <laughs> it was uh, Judd Apatow watched that and he was just like taking notes diligently. He said one day. Um, I can't. What what movie did we do recently? I gave an F2. Was it Camille? Camille. <laughs> Camille's a D. It's being, <laughs> it's being retroactively bumped up to a D minus. This is an F. <laughs> this is a failure on every conceivable level. Dude, 
Are you telling me you're more likely to watch Camille? Fuck yeah. (laughs) By yourself. Yes. Really? If like the situation called for it, which I don't know why it would. Yes. (laughs) For some reason, somebody has a gun to your head and they have DVDs of Jilly, Christmas with the Cranks, Camille, and this one. Mm, Probably Jilly. Because even then, you have like the shocking nature of how bad it is. And let's not kid ourselves here. Out of all this lineup, Jennifer Lopez is the hottest of any of those women. You're asking me from my perspective. <laughs> That's not going to matter to a lot of people. But if I'm going to have to waste my time watching you, one you of these. You just go with the hottest. Uh... The hottest, but like the ratio of like ridiculousness <laughs> to hotness. <laughs> Drew Barrymore is a gorgeous woman also, but th- there's not enough here to justify it. Jamie Lee Curtis, very pretty woman, but definitely but not But it's enough. also what the movie is asking them to do. I-, I think that the pain of seeing what Christmas the Cranks does to Jamie Lee Curtis yes. is what would put me off watching it again. Versus, you know, I know we, we disagree on this, but to me, what the movie does to Drew Barrymore is okay. <laughs> five Five seconds of her being electrocuted... Yeah, I, I, that's just for whatever reason that just stuck with me because I just felt oh, it's it's a horrible shot. Yeah, I'm and it's like, not no. funny at all. <laughs> she managed to keep her dignity that far, and then Devito was to be fair with her. Everyone else's had been out the window by that point. Yeah, so. Devito came back after the the audience screening, and it's like, no, you know what? We need more laughter in this part. Yeah, and then like we talked about with uh, the swerve ending, is um, it's easy to see coming that something's not right because we talked about. Uh, officer Dan Robert Wisdom he's this NYPD officer <laughs> that's just keeping vigilance on this situation where like no real crime has been committed and the only thing of massive like uh, curiosity was when the floor gave through I mean not to downplay that you know she was freaked out by what happened with the CPR thing but to like immediately accuse him wait 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 how does he even have a desk If he's, is he really a cop I assume that he is a cop. That's just part of the, of the of the con. Okay. <laughs> or they, they have this. The, the thing is even more elaborate than we thought. And they have a whole building, a set that's made to look like a precinct. If it really is just, <laughs> it's one VR <laughs> yeah. that, that horror movie we saw. Yes. They just like create this whole fictional community. All right. And also, going through the Wikipedia summation, like, using that and going back and forth between my notes, someone, whoever wrote the Wikipedia page for this had to have been on, like, the writing team for (laughs) Duplex. Because the way they try to word it and, uh, you know... Wait, wait, it gets better. Make it sound all fun. But anyway, uh, yeah, I guess Officer Dan would have had to have been a police officer. But still, it's... And Harvey Firesing is a realtor. Yeah. Oh, here we go. As a writer, Alex is attempting to finish his novel against a looming deadline. However, he is interrupted daily by Mrs. Connolly's numerous demands and requests, and what begins as a nuisance quickly escalates into all-out war. (laughs) Why? Fun for the whole family. Fun for the whole family. That's right. That's like copy that you send at radio stations. Fuck this movie. If it had been pitched from the very beginning. Fuck you, Eileen Essel. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> from from minute from minute one, if it had been pitched from minute one as the movie that it becomes in the second half, do you think it would have worked better for you? Uh, I mean, yeah. If they just leaned more into, like you said earlier, that 
it's like they wanted to cheat making a dark comedy just to you know make it more readily available, which happens a lot to comedies. They kind of get neutered when they want that PG-13 rating. But this isn't really a story that's supposed to be for younger audiences. It's not really a story that's supposed to be for families. Because in the end, these two narcissists want to murder this old woman so they can have their perfect life. And as a purveyor of dark comedies, I can see where some of that would be funny if you can actually lean all the way into it, right? which they can't here. And with Ben Stiller and Drew Barrymore, dude, Drew Barrymore is funny. I think that's one thing that kind of people forget about her. Cause she, uh, obviously good career choice for her. She got kind of that bubbly, you know, she's one of the, the darlings of the nineties, like romantic comedies and things of that nature. But when she is given the task, she can be funny. And I think that genuinely, and even some of like, um, I think in a dark comedy too, is something she could definitely shine in. I've never watched Santa Clara diet is, mm-hmm. does she get any of the comedy in that? Yeah. You haven't seen it? No. Seen? Oh yeah. She's, I mean, there's not is a she huge the spoiler. zombie. She's the zombie. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I thought Timothy Oliphant was. No, he's just her husband. Oh, I mean, I didn't. I well, watched the first few episodes. Delightful. It it's 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 cute. It was like the Avengers, if Timothy Elephant was. Uh, <laughs> and Drew Barrymore is a vampire. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. So I think that's probably why I hated it as much as I did because it's like somewhere buried in all this, there could have been something good, especially knowing what Danny DeVito would do in the next few years with Always Sunny, and then you know knowing how good Ben Stiller and Drew Barrymore are. And yet, making James Remar boring, it's like, what the hell's wrong with you? I think it was just the, what's the word I'm looking for here? The variable perfect disaster. I would not say beautiful disaster, because there was nothing beautiful about it. <laughs> Drew Barrymore. Mm. And that nurse. I mean, she was very attractive. But yeah, that it's so disjointed. I wouldn't even say it has a fucking identity crisis. I think it just, it, it has no balls. Uh, you know, yep. that's that's what I can say about it. I gave Camille one and a half. Probably give this about the same one and a half. You're more generous than I am. I liked. Uh, I enjoyed Drew Barrymore more than you did. <laughs> that's really the only. I love Drew Barrymore, but yeah, this was this was a no go. I'm looking at her filmography now to see if she's ever done any like had any comedic performances that I was a big fan of. She has a bit part in Wayne's World too. That's really funny. Um, I forgot she's in Batman Forever fascinating she hasn't done as many movies as i thought i mean she's done a shit ton but anyway it was not to be one way or the other with this so steve i hope you're happy happy with the play you got anything else what we, else to say i we, think i think we've we've done what we could with uh with duplex i let's say we're 30 minutes in 32 jesus christ i got completely out of my mind just going off on it and i, th- I thought i was gonna look over and say 12 minutes <laughs> Like, I thought I'd just spit out what I had to in three minutes, but no, I got all worked up about it. It's uh, all that anger. I mean, to be fair, 20 minutes of those 32 minutes is just us throwing hypotheticals about which movie's worse than this one. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. So that was Duplex. Jesting aside, I mean, we're still on the quest to find the worst movie ever made. So if anyone's listening to this and has suggestions, you think you can top Duplex, it we may not be in agreement of what the worst one is, but it is, it has entered. It, it is part of that. It is that in that tier. Yes, that uh, the zenith of badness. Yeah. Uh, so far, I want to say out of those, just off the top of my head, I think Christmas with the Cranks was the lowest 
tomato meter score? I think that was like 10 or 11. 5%. 5? Jesus. <laughs> Made $100 million. Yes. Jilly bombed, Camille bombed, Duplex bombed, Christmas with the Cranks, Blockbuster. Hey, man. Tim Allen at Christmas time. It is a tried and true move. <laughs> View recast Ben, uh, ben Stiller as Tim Allen. Proven draw. And release it at Christmas. And release it at Christmas. I mean, it ends at Christmas. The yep. climax takes place at, at Oh, yeah, at that's weird. Eve. Fucking, like, late September. and <laughs> It's Christmas. Why? I don't know. Because James Remar gets shot in the shoulder with a spear gun. And, yeah, come on, man. Like, I was looking for comparison. Here Comes the Boom is in the same region as this. That movie's just delightful. So, anyway, yeah, Duplex it. If nothing else, it is a fascinating little time capsule. I have a last one for you. What? Duplex. Uh, gone to your head. Duplex or American Hustle? Oh, come on. American Hustle <laughs> still has that part where uh, um, Bradley Cooper, the, I'm going to kiss his boo-boo. That validates watching that movie at any point in time. Oh, God. Those words will haunt you. Later. I'm not going to. I have on my laptop that isolated clip, so anytime I have like the hankering, that's not even fair. As much as we just spent American Hustle, these movies, those aren't in the same galaxy. So anyway, continuing on, though, we're not going to say goodbye to Miss Drew Barrymore too quickly. We do have a bonus episode that's going to become, it's going to come out before episode 102, correct? Correct. Okay. Yes. So our bonus episode, which we're recording this Saturday with, uh, Friend of the podcast, brother of the Contrarians. Speaking of American Hustle. Jazz Fisher. We're going to be discussing the Terminator franchise. Uh, if you remember way back, uh, this is a stretch for longtime listeners, we did a uh, career retrospective on Rob Zombie's films. And similar to that, we're going to be doing a, a franchise retrospective on the Terminator franchise. Yeah. We also did that uh, Chris Columbus Christmas movie. Yes, 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 yes. So this will be our third sort of all-encompassing uh the second time in my life I tried to watch Rent and got about 10 minutes into it. It was like, nope. <laughs> so we will be covering Terminator 1, 2, 3, Salvation, and Genesis. Yes, we're going to... Leaving the door open for what? what's it called? Dawn of Fate Justice? Dark, dark Fate. Okay, whatever. Martha. Martha, there you go. So that will come uh, following this. And then for episode 102, Drew Barrymore will be back in the saddle as we tackle... Uh, ever after which i've never seen before i saw it once a long time ago my recollection is that it's a better movie than duplex <laughs> well but that that leaves it open to who knows i was about to say we've literally watched at least 100 movies together that are better than duplex uh, but it is 91 percent on the old rt so we'll be bringing it down a peg or two was ever after also a listener request uh yes it was is is uh, Drew Barrymore's agent somehow funneling <laughs> requests through our listeners. Yeah, she's not trending on Twitter as much anymore, so we need to get the word back out. I'd be like, what, what is this swelled interest in duplex and ever after? Dude, our most popular, speaking of trending, our most popular uh, post on Instagram is the just the picture of the Camille poster. And I think it's because it's hashtag James Franco. Yeah. I didn't know he was still popular. I mean, part of that episode is us talking about how he's been canceled and he's just That happens, man. That's why like it's a whole bunch of I used to do it like a lot checking. more like jokingly. I would hashtag, you know, MAGA on my tweets just like as a joke. And, and like the response you get to it's always like, God, this isn't fucking worth it. <laughs> so 
what's even worse is vanity searchers that like um, go and type in a word and just search it and then just go through posts that have that in there. Uh huh. So like that I know about this just due to the things, the interests I have, but that's like a really annoyingly prominent thing in the wrestling social media community. They'll just uh, like if I have if the the word Roman Reigns is in my tweet, they'll just find that and then start arguing with me about something I said, even though I never engaged them or like tagged them at any point in time. To your point, though, yeah, especially on Instagram where it's so easy to do. I mean, not me per se, but people may have at one point in time, you know, just looked up the hashtag Adelix or Choplist and just gone down the whole gambit <laughs> and saw what uh, what was held there. So for the duplex post. I was about to say, the point is, we need to make sure we hashtag Drew Barrymore on these. Well, she'll hear at least one contrarian defending her performance <laughs> hey, in this movie. Okay. Drew is is a, is a an angel on this earth if there ever was one. It just it wasn't to be in this movie. I'm all for her redeeming herself in Ever After, though. Uh, in closing, we have our usual shout-outs. Uh, to the festive years, first and foremost, for providing our opening and closing tracks. Our opening is Last Stand, closing is Summer 99. Julio, tell us about the man, the myth, the legend. The man, the myth, the legend, Hans Rothgieser. He did our logo. He has two podcasts, Living in Peru, which you can find in iVox. That's in English. It's about people that moved to Peru for some reason. Um, and then his other podcast is Nacion Combi in Spanish, about all sorts of Peruvian things. You can find that one in any podcatcher. He is obviously an artist. He does comics. He has a website, mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S.pe. Um, and talk to him on Twitter, at Mildemonios. You can email him, mildemonios at hotmail.com. And he has a new book out. I know I've mentioned before that he's an author. Mm -hmm. He writes fantasy stuff. Uh, last couple of books he wrote were uh, about zombies. And they're popular enough that they asked him to add another book. So Hell it's yeah. called Requiem por Luring, which is Requiem for, and Luring is like this city in Lima. Um, and it's it's just more zombie horror. It actually, he was just telling me it's a bestseller. Uh, it's on the bestseller list of the book fair where it debuted, the Ricardo Palma book fair. So he's riding high right now, uh, but he might still have time to, uh, <laughs> to do your logo. I was going to say, I just see him or, like... <laughs> Lighting a cigar with a lit dollar bill, uh, sipping Mai Tais. Uh, but yeah, if you if you can uh, read Spanish, check out his books. Just contact him on social media. Uh, now, do you have a plug? Man, we've been between the rapid fire, we've been doing these, and then like, yeah, my time the past week was spent packing and then going on vacation this past weekend. So, um. I guess I will plug, never uh, take for granted your own bed. <laughs> I just, uh, I always have a hard time sleeping in hotels. And so when I got back and slept here last night, I was like, oh, this is the best. Just put on some Malcolm in the middle and just drifted off to sleep. I very rarely get that feeling of, uh, man, I miss my bed so much, but I don't really sleep away from my bed very often. Uh, when I do it's such a novelty, <laughs> it doesn't really bother me, I guess. Uh, I don't have the nomadic lifestyle that you do. Oh, yeah. You're like constantly sleeping in hotel rooms and 
It has been pretty ridiculous the past few years, but whatever the case, no, I don't have any true plugs. Uh, I'm going to see the master in 70 millimeter tomorrow. I know you did over the weekend, so we can uh, reconvene about that and discuss that movie and all of its everlasting glory. Masterful glory. Um, I I have, it's sort of a plug. It's, I mean, we've talked about them before the guys from beyond the box set. They Mm -hmm. just did a good fellas episode where uh, they, mostly talk shit about it and i was pretty irritated by how disrespectful they were being to this masterpiece yeah <laughs> and then completely forgave everything when uh they mentioned one of the hosts harry he's a big marvel fan and he mentioned that he'd listened to our endgame episode oh yeah and that it was the best podcast about endgame that he'd listened to and really yes wow he said well, those, thank you yeah he said those guys do her do the research <laughs> <laughs> we try and I was like, wow, because he is like me in the sense that he's a big fan of the movies. Mm-hmm. And he listened to you talk shit about those movies. <laughs> and then he said, this is what I needed. Yeah, some of the response we got on Twitter, I, I really enjoyed of uh, just even people that very uh, heavily disagreed with me, but still just like. Um, they were like, Alex, no. <laughs> well, even then, I, the, the feedback I saw at least and got directly to me was. We had like an intelligent conversation about it, not just like I don't like it, so it fucking sucks type thing. Yeah, I think I think it was that's what made it really fun. It, I mean, I joked about you yelling about it, but really, it was mm-hmm. a very civil conversation. It was, but I didn't mean to pat ourselves in the back. I really uh, beyond the box set is a really good show, and I just the least I can do is remind people <laughs> that they're awesome since they were uh, saying such nice things about. One of our biggest episodes ever. Hell yeah! Uh, but yeah, other than that, I've been I've been doing uh, my Oscar catch up, slowly closing in on. Uh, there's no way I'm gonna 100 percent it, but mm-hmm. but I'm I'm getting pretty close. I watched this really good documentary. It's on Hulu. It's nominated uh, Honeyland. Okay. 90 minutes meets the Mattis rule. It's really okay. slow, but it's really really good. I would say so far I've watched four of the five nominees. If if I had to vote, I would vote for Honeyland. So I would say. Prioritize that one. If you have Hulu, just watch that one. Nice. All right. Well, that was Duplex. Goodbye. <laughs> Up next, Terminator. And then, and then ever, after. ever After. As Drew Barrymore will not be... Uh, what? As any sensical podcast does, Duplex, the Terminator franchise, and then Ever After. Uh, but that'll do it for episode 101. We're on the, the path to episode 200 at this point. Uh, whatever the case, whatever falls next, whatever you feel about Duplex, we do want to thank you for listening to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. Is that the movie too where um, Jennifer Lawrence dances really hot? No. No, Amy Adams. I was thinking of what's the movie where Jennifer Lawrence has a Live very... or Let Die? No, 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 no. What's the other movie he made with him and with uh, Bradley Cooper? Oh, and... uh, Silver Linings Playbook. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Much like American Hustle, 
Not worth the film it's printed on, but did have some good scenes in it. Or a good scene, excuse me. 